climbing the ox's broad back. I ride slowly homeward. The sound of my flute echoes through the evening, clapping hands to the pulsing harmony. I keep time with the ancient rhythm. Whoever hears this music joins right in. Now, speaking of backs, uh, this um, gadget uh, reflects the curves of the spine you know, in proper alignment. Um, depending where you place it, uh, this curve could be the um, the lower back or the middle back. But uh, sometimes, um, uh, you know, a teacher might hold it against the back so that our sense of the spine is, is enhanced. And most of you are sitting kind of Chinese fashion, if I may say. Um, that is, your most of your heads are ahead of your shoulders, at least from, from where I sit. And um, we, we don't have the, uh, the, the um, dreaded kyosaku here, you know, the long stick that's used to hit the shoulders. But uh, if we did, uh, uh, one of the, the um, less aggressive ways that's used is uh, put it against the spine and it should touch at the base of the spine um, between the shoulder blades and the back of the head. So m- most of you, you know, I could stick my fist in between the top of the stick and the back of your head. So if you want to uh, um, study posture a little bit more, you could uh, see if you can imagine that flat stick touching in those three places so that you're not kind of doing this. Uh, Dogen, of course, says your ears should be in the same plane as your shoulders, right? in the Fukan Zazengi, and your nose in the same plane as your belly button. Um, one reason this is important is because uh, when you spend a lot of time in stillness, uh, uh, stillness um, comes to uh, predominate naturally, and um, uh, sometimes it leads to uh, a kind of uh, torpid frame of mind. So in this practice where there's so much emphasis on stillness and silence, there's uh, there have been some um, built-in adjustments to uh, balance yin and yang in the in the uh, uh, Chinese frame of reference. Uh, yin being, as you probably know, the the cool, dark, and still, and yang being the bright and active. Uh, uh, those uh, two elements are always represented. Uh, and ideally, when they are in harmony, uh, uh, it enhances um, practice. So, although we're very still, we're not. It's not the same kind of still as if we were lying down. So, being very sitting very still is is quite yin. So, we introduce some elements that are yang instead. In other words, the eyes are open. If the eyes are closed, that's more yin. So in order to keep these, uh, these two principles of uh, life in harmony, um, uh, both elements are represented. So um, the spine is critical, of course, in, in sitting practice. Uh, so maybe uh, you might study it a little bit and see See if you can uh, sense where your head is relative to your shoulders and see if the, the back of your head, the 
the part part of the thoracic curve between the shoulder blades and the um, base of the spine at the bottom of the lumbar curve are, are lined up both top to bottom and front to back. So just you might look into that. And then uh, riding slowly homeward on the ox will be more comfortable. Now, you might not think so. Um, I remember one session where uh, my teacher came along and kind of grabbed him by the neck and kind of pulled up. <laughs> Actually, it was quite instructive. Um, I, I, I finally got a feeling for how the spine can be energized rather than just kind of, you know, like a, a, a sort of um, almost randomly stacked plates. You know, it's actually, it's actually, there's some energy and there's a little bit of an upward movement. So I mentioned earlier about the breastbone lifting straight up to the ceiling and the, the flat top of the head. This is Chinese terms, translates as head top, moving up to the ceiling. And this helps stretch the spine out. And that's complemented by the shoulders dropping and the, the shoulder blades moving very gently, very slightly down the back, opening the chest. So these are all uh, details that um, pretty much aren't written down anywhere. Um, this is the sort of thing that's passed from practitioner to practitioner. So... Uh, it was passed on to me, so I'll pass it on to you, and then you can pass it on someday. Um, next time you're riding uh, National Express, you can turn to your seatmate and say, may I tell you about the spine? And see how they react to that. Can I challenge you a little bit? Please. Um, you know, I, I've taught yoga for many years, ah. and we all have different spines. Yes. And um, I think there can be a danger in kind of saying, you know, this is the way. Mm-hmm. Because in my experience, we all have different bodies and we all adjust in, in different mm-hmm. ways. There might, I appreciate the general principles that you've mm-hmm. just said this morning, but you know, I think everybody has to find their own way. And, and, oh, yes. And I would, I would welcome you adjusting my posture. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, but uh, when you teach um, uh, a yoga pose, surely you instruct, okay, this is how it's done, and then people do various things, right? Yeah, sure. So this is, the, this is how it's done part, and then people are going to do various things. Um, but still, uh, the, the, um, you know, people are coming from um, uh, infinite karmic directions, and what's held up is the pose to approach. So, um, the uh, if, if someone comes and puts the kyosaku against our back, that's something kind of to move towards, not to try rigidly adhere to. So, so you're quite right. Everyone is different, and um, this is just a point to kind of move towards. Um, but uh, it, uh, it should not uh, be an occasion for violence or excess or, st- or overstretching. And it can be. You see, well, see some people's postures like, just look like they're going to hurt themselves doing that. And in some, in some environments, that's thought highly of, but I don't think so highly of it. So um, by all means, be, be careful and just experiment with this as another uh, variable or set of variables in your sitting practice. So there's, um, you know, know, in the midst of these details, which uh, sound like we're trying to uh, do something, there's this this pulsing harmony, the uh, ancient rhythm, which is uh, beyond anybody's control. And is reflected in the unfolding of um, the unfolding activities of body, speech, and mind. 
and in the uh, perhaps sometimes overly warm crucible of practice. Sometimes it's called uh, the ancient brocade. That is the uh, the beautiful and kind of uninterrupted patterning of reality. And uh, the suggestion here is that uh, from the back of the ox, you know, ox is a pretty, pretty tall animal, the view is especially nice. And one's hearing of the harmony is uh, enhanced. So the practice of just sitting is really one of being astride the ox. Uh, we were talking about, you know, the... Uh, what did you say? Heroic struggle? The titanic effort? Mm-hmm. Titanic struggle. And we talked a little bit about that, how uh, the titanic struggle is actually um, motionless. And how the uh, forces that are vying for victory are, um, you could say, uh, karma and intention, or uh, nature and vow, and it's not a war any more than uh, you know winter turning into spring is a war. So we we work this out in stillness, or rather, this is worked out in stillness. And uh, in this, as I said, the crucible of this uh, this titanic struggle, um, ox and ox herd are uh, revealed to be one. That is, not two. And then it's like, um, well, uh, as they say, just to depict it in literary form is to defile it. But it is kind of like, you know, a falling through a floor and there's nothing beneath. All the uh, detailed and sometimes disparate verities of, you know, um, practice and dharma and so forth um, are subsumed in this um, harmony, this pulsing rhythm. You could also say that everyone hears it. There's that uh, famous old story of which the one of the punchlines is you may think you don't hear it but you can't hinder the one who hears it that's one of Reb's favorites I don't know if he's talked to you about that one that's the story of the teaching of the insentient which is very important in uh, Chan and uh, East Asian Buddhism and um, one of the uh, uh, in the, in the old story, and then in our ancestor Dongshan's restating of it, uh, there's this complaint that oh, I can't hear it. What do you mean? This teaches the Dharma? I can't hear it. And um, one of the responses to that is. You say you can't hear it, but you can't hinder the one who hears it. So to give ourselves some encouragement, we uh, keep time with the ancient rhythm. And uh, as as uh, people seem to have known for as long as there have been people, 
there are various uh, things, uh, ways that seem to um, reflect that or bring that out. So there's probably no culture that doesn't have drumming or singing or poetic recitation. And these all reflect something besides aesthetic preferences. Uh, something even uh, beyond biology. Um, Joseph Campbell's uh, quite brilliant examination of uh, how certain uh, uh, biological rhythms and multiples are reflected in sacred scriptures. So, uh, first thing in the morning, after some sitting, we do nine bows. Well, so, well, why don't we do eight or eleven? Well, I don't know, but we don't. When um, um, uh, Hongran, the fifth ancestor, um, uh, comes to visit poor Huynang, who's in there in the granary, grinding away, grinding, grinding. And he, he raps on the mortar three times. So why three? Why not, I don't know, five or six and a half? I don't know. It was three times. And this is not... Uh, 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 a uh, canonical imperative. It's an ancient rhythm. You know, just like uh, riding an ox and uh, rocking back and forth. So it says here, uh, the um, ox is uh, uh, headed homeward, but uh, note that no particular directions have been given. It doesn't say, I steer the ox homeward. Uh, The ox is always headed home. Ox and rider know where home is, always. Before I said, you might know where the ox is all the time. Another way of saying that is, ox and rider are always aimed home. Whether they're walking or still. And as they progress... There's a kind of music. So this is all perhaps a little over elaborate. Maybe I'm, you know, wasting our time talking about yes. Talking about music. Yes. Um, is, is there any significance in the fact that he's, she, he, she is playing the flute and clapping her hands at the same time? That is rather clever, isn't it? <laughs> my my thought was periodically the Oxford will tuck the flute under the arm and just that was my resolution. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's a strange world. So so uh, this is writing and. Again, riding and home are not two. We say riding home, and yet riding and home are as inseparable as practice and verification. As uh, 
effort and vow. But uh, because our, our human life has certain repeating themes and shapes, because the ancient brocade has a pattern, we say stuff like arriving home. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes our experiences, actually, I think pretty often, when we arrive home, the journey is forgotten. Have you had that experience? I have, very often. You arrive home, and wherever you were is gone. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was last night. I've actually been having terrible nights. I don't know what the issue is. I think it's partly this. It's still hurting. So I haven't been sleeping well at all. So I apologize if I've been short with anyone. I remember this morning, there was the bells to sit down. You all were standing up. So I said, sit down. (laughs) Excuse me if that was a little tart. But I'm uh, actually not getting much sleep for some reason. Um, and, And somehow in the midst of that, you know, I was thinking, well, if I were in my own bed... But my own bed just didn't exist. Well, I came all this way, you know, from San Francisco, but that doesn't exist. So this is home. I don't mean Gaia House exactly. I don't not mean Gaia House. I just mean here, now, is home. And as that awareness ripens in us, we say stuff like, I am at peace. The ox, too, is at rest. Day has broken. In joyful repose, in my thatched hut, I have put down the whip and rope. I think in this part of the world there may actually be some thatched huts. Is that right? Still? Now and again you see them? Yeah, they all cost about half a million dollars. Yes, they do. You can't just, uh, you know, call up your friendly neighborhood thatcher and have them come and, oh, not Margaret, but the other kind, and, and have them come and fix your roof. The thatched hut, of course, is a uh, popular Zen image. The, uh, the little retreat, the um, sacred still space that one, in a sense, enters and never leaves, or even more correctly, has never entered or left. And there, whip and rope are irrelevant. Uh, whip and rope being irrelevant is, is like Sikirashi is saying, our effort is a great, pure effort. We don't just, we don't just lie down and flake out. I don't know, maybe you don't have that expression in England, but oh, you do? Okay. You don't just lie down and flake out. I mean, you can. All of us have done that. I do that. I make a point of lying down and flaking out at least once a day. But if that's all you do, Your life doesn't feel right. Something is missing. That great pure effort is missing. And the purer the effort becomes, the more distant whip and rope become. The more um, transparent that that, uh, image becomes. So in these paintings, you know, you see the little little ox herd sitting there, uh, sometimes seen through the window of the thatched hut, you know, and usually there's a moon, although this says day is breaking, so maybe it's the setting moon, and the ox is just kind of asleep outside. 
This is the image of the returned home one. Yes. Yesterday you referred to the whip and the rope as uh, attention and intention. Yes. Um, did I say that? You did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, from what you're saying, uh, the, putting these down is not. Uh, I, I, my understanding is it's not. It's not like attention and intention aren't relevant anymore. It's Correct. Just that it's kind of like an effortless effort. Right. They are so pure now that you almost can't see them. That's right. If you abandon them entirely, you're flaking, and then you feel funny after a while. Like Suzuki, she said, if you just lie in bed, he says, uh, you know, you just feel like some stuff. You know? So eventually, get up and do something. You know? It's so true. It's, it's, it's universal. And, and of course, some folks... Uh, you know, because of their their various uh, their karma and their their ex- their painful experiences, try to stay there, try to stay flaked. You know, so earlier we were talking about the 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 heroin pit. You know, well, all they're trying to do is to stay flaked because not being flaked is too painful. Can't really blame people for that. You know, you can't. Yes. Yes. And in, in, I can I can get there, but um, in what in what sense? I mean, I, I've had this discussion with others. We go, you know, this is a bad person, this guy is a loser. But he or she wants to be happy. Yes. That's that's mine. That's taken for granted. Yes. That's taken for granted. But to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say they're taking the long route. You know, um, still, I could sometimes, you know, sit down with such a person, and suddenly we're home together. Only they may not see that. They may still feel like, God, I am sick of this journey. Where's my heroin or whatever they're using in order to uh, ease the strain? And therefore, that uh, uh, that opportunity to um, feel the the ancient rhythm, to hear that harmony, passes by for them that time. So uh, it's possible to take quite a long route home, and that basically means the quality of now and here that is home is. Um, Remains invisible. Does that uh, click at all? Yes, and I—I I mean, I would say I have evidence of that. Did you? I have evidence mm-hmm. of that. That mm-hmm. is my experience. Yes. However, I—I um, I hope not to get into discussions trying to persuade others of that. Evidence. Yeah. Well, have you tried that? Sometimes, and yeah, it does not. It does not work very well. It does not work very well um, um, because you know you're trying to tell somebody about something that they already know, that they already hear, but that for some reason they are not so in tune with. And um, uh, when you have that discussion with people, it's kind of an invitation to say. The um, the archetypal experience of returning home, friend, is actually through your pain, and that's not great news for some people. It's like, well, I don't want to hear that. I want to go the other way. My pain's over there. Excuse me, I'm going that way. Well, of course, that doesn't work. And um, uh, at least temporarily. That's bad news for some folks. So they do not want to hear it. So I, I too have had that experience uh, that you're describing. And um, so sometimes what's most effective is just to hang out and be at home with so-and-so. And if uh, um, some 
some part of their body-mind feels that and recognizes that, their day will brighten a little bit without our having done anything about it. Just be at home with them, that's all. So, now, does this uh, go further? Well... What you're describing sounds like withered trees springing into blossom. Yes. Well, it, uh, uh, it's, it's not that it goes further, but one can always say more. Um, why are there only ten ox-herding pictures? Well, I don't know. Uh, there could have been 57. Just like the Heinz company used to make 57 different products. <laughs> but we've got ten. Yes. Well, we're going to read some more poems. That's all. Yeah. So the going further is another uh, sort of um, aesthetic exercise. It's another not strictly necessary elaboration. But in order to uh, encourage ourselves, we tell these stories Uh, during those long winter nights, you know, when the wolves are howling outside, we gather around the fire and we tell stories. That's all this is. So in the next chapter, our little friend tells us, whip, rope, ox, and rider all merge as no particular thing. The heavens are so vast, no words can touch them. How does a snowflake pass through blazing fire? Here are the very footprints of the ancestors. So now, this metaphor of uh, searching, catching, taming, and so forth is dissolved into the now. All of these points of metaphor dissolve into no particular thing. That's not to say nothing. This is not like nothingness, which is just an idea. This is just no particular thing. This is sometimes, uh, you know, people say things like, this is the one taste, the single taste of reality, which has myriad flavors and one taste. Oh, look, there's a wee spider on here. Look at that. There you are, right there. Oh, I'm bothering it, sorry. So uh, how, how does a snowflake pass through fire? Anybody? I don't have the right answer. I'm just asking. I know one answer. It doesn't! (laughs) That's the nature of things. That is the perfect nature of things. The heavens are so vast... No words reach them. Just like, what else? What have we been saying? They can't be stained or defiled. Just like... What else can't be defiled? The practice. Practice verification. It's not that it's not there. You just can't pin anything on it. Defined. I always hear that as defined. Defiled. But it, yes. I, 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 every time you say it, I can't really hear it. So I, uh, can't be defiled. Yeah. Uh, part of the um, ordination ceremony uh, used to say, uh, there's a, a line in the ordination verses that says something like, this virtue can't be defined. So there's that one. So you can you can recite that one if you like. This virtue cannot be defined.
and neither heavens nor practice verification can be defiled. Uh, the other day, I think I, I, gave, I, this is trivial, but it bothered me because I think I, I said, uh, I gave you the wrong Japanese word for practice verification. So I'm sorry about that. It's actually shusho. I think I said shoujo or something, which is the name of the dog next door. So, <laughs> next door to my house. So anyways, shusho is practice verification. Yes, yes. Thank you for not teasing me on that point. Thank you. That was very kind. Well, um, anyway, uh, the one that Dogen uses most often for practice verification is shusho. So um, uh, you can add that to your Dogen vocabulary. So this is the very way that our ancestors have walked, are walking, and will walk. We in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. This is how we walk. Yes. Yes. The the image of the snowflake passing through blazing the fire seems to contain more for me than perhaps we 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 made it. Yes. Okay. Some of the fear? Some of the fear that arises when some kind of emptiness is, is perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel a bit like a snowflake mm-hmm. having to go through. Yes, are, are you uh, ready to melt? It feels like a kind of death, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Yes, there is that expression in, in Chan, the great death, which... Um, you know, is, has been uh, dramatized in various ways, but uh, simply means the provisional nature of the self is apparent. This is the great death. Now, some people, as I, I said uh, earlier on, uh, equate that with a particularly entertaining psychological event. You can do that if you want, but it's not limited to that. And also, by the way, you probably already know this, but, but, but remember that your, did I say this already? Your awakening, our awakening, is for all time and all beings, but also uniquely our own. No one has Shakyamuni's awakening but Shakyamuni. All right? You cannot do what he did as him, you can do what he did as you. So when you read descriptions of somebody else's experience, that's very nice. It's just like uh, you read a restaurant review, and then you know the, the, the reviewer just thought the food was fabulous, and you go there, and you say, like, every mouthful is poison, and the portions are so small. You have a totally different experience. That is your experience. So don't be misled by, um, you know, that section of um, the infamous Three Pillars of Zen. It's all these enlightenment experiences. It's like, oh, I want one of those, man, you know. Well, okay, but it will be yours, not one of those. So be wary. Yes? So the, the kind of anticipation and, and kind of putting on a pedestal that people do of, in, make of, in, of enlightenment or whatever... Um, it's kind of making a thing of it, and that's why you get excited about it because you made a thing of it. Correct. Like the fear, uh, the fear that people make of death or, or losing the self, it's kind of you're making a thing of it. So there's something you can fear. But that's right. If you don't make a thing of these things, then there's kind of the excitement and the fear. Right. Just... Right. Um, I mean, we don't say there are no things in the world. We just say they are all of provisional nature. Mm-hmm. And when we see that, like the Heart Sutra says, fear is irrelevant. There is uh, this concept, you know, I'm sure you've heard of, skillful means or upaya. So 
it may be that for somebody in some circumstances, if you let them or encourage them to think there's a certain thing somewhere, that may be helpful to them. So we don't rule that out entirely. But we understand it as provisional, not ultimate. As is usually the case, when I give a talk, I I come to a point where I feel like I'm saying too much. So I'm kind of inclined to shut up now, but if you guys want to say some things, I'm happy to listen. Yes? May I ask something about practice? Of course. I sprained my knee some months ago and it hasn't ever really fully recovered. And I can feel um, that it's beginning to hint to me that it might need uh, more consideration. Yes. Um, It it isn't there yet. Uh, Mm -hmm. It hasn't ripened yet. Mm -hmm. But um, if it does go that way, to respond to it, I will need to uh, sit in a chair. Yes. Um, shall I uh, get a chair and sit at the back? Or no. Well, is, what, what, what would be your... Uh, well, we don't really have assigned places, which would be the case in a more formal environment, but you can just bring your chair to your place. Uh, I would request that you not like, go away to the corner and sit in the corner. Don't do that. Stay, stay up with us. In whatever, any, any of you, whatever arrangement you need to make for sitting, that's fine. Um, I, hope, I hope I've made that more or less clear that uh, uh, you know, we're not being um, all rigid about our, our forms here. That is, we're using the forms appropriately as a uh, helpful structure in our practice, not as um, um, in some legalistic way or some uh, insensitive or brutal way. So, um, you know, adjust your posture as needed, but do so as zazen, as I was telling somebody. Make your adjustment also zazen, not... Oh, um, I, I think I told that person, uh, some places there's this... There's, it used to be at Zen Center anyway, you were supposed to bow before you changed your posture, and then bow after. Don't do that. That's like... I'm sorry I'm doing this. I'm such a slug. You know, just, just as zazen in motion, quietly and slowly make your adjustment. Right? That's all. Yes? Is there time to say a little bit about chanting? About chanting? Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, yes, chanting. <coughs> the art of chanting. Well, um, I've variously been asked uh, at different times by people to, to instruct them in chanting, and I must confess, I don't actually know how. I really didn't receive any instruction, particularly a little bit here and there from various enos and so forth. Um, interestingly, Reb uh, received specific instruction from Suzuki Roshi about chanting. Suzuki Roshi once said, Come, I want to teach you about chanting. But mostly that didn't happen at Zen Center. I, uh, my chanting practice developed from listening to other people whose chanting seemed to be you know, pretty good. So I, I don't have all that much specific instruction to give in addition to what I said before about chanting with the whole body-mind. Uh, uh, don't, don't just don't read. You know, Chanting and reading aloud are two different things. So to chant means to uh, unify body-mind and have it emerge as voice. Okay, so again, it's not loud, but it's also not like soft and wimpy and kind of hesitant. So when we're we're chanting our sutras and so forth, be completely present, just as as sitting. So this is this is practice as sound, right? And and so try to make that effort to be that pure effort to be present and to let the voice out and to use the whole body, the whole body-mind. The, the, uh, 
the more technical details, just as the, the technical details of music are worthy of some study. Um, if you know uh, music notation, you can write down those, those, re- those melodies you hear. Or you can play them by ear. But uh, if you know a little bit about the notation, then you can actually use that in ways that are helpful. So uh, when we chant the Buddhas and ancestors, it seems like um, you know maybe we're not so familiar with the uh, that kind of notation. So uh, here, I don't think in, the, in this chant book there are no um, there are no uh, diacritics and so forth. I don't think are there are there there are, there are there are macrons there are long marks, but there are there aren't any accent. Points and I I put accent points in our our uh, Buddhas and ancestors uh, chant uh, back at my temple for that reason. Now mostly mostly people ignore them, but um, anyway, uh, the the in Sino Japanese the rules are fairly straightforward. Um, uh, syllables that have a macron are longer, but not all of them are marked as such. Um, uh, for instance, oh, there's a mistake. Oh, no, it isn't. Let's see. Let me look here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty good. Um, uh, I noticed the O at the end of Dio Sho is long, which is, which is appropriate for the character, but you actually don't hold that O. So this is just, this is just one of these details, one of these notational details. So... Uh, you go right on to the next next name. You don't stretch it out. And so forth. Now, the Chinese, uh, like the, uh, the women ancestors, is more difficult. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, we don't have any uh, indications. Um, so, you... You know, with with no uh, diacritics, unless you've you've internalized the rules, you know, you're kind of all over the place with this, right? And and then you got all of these uh, Chinese names like, uh, uh, you know, Miao Xin, Liu uh, Tiemo, and then words in, in Chinese like the like um, Acharya S H I J I. It's actually Shiji rather than Shiji, but it, it looks like Shiji here, but it's actually Shiji. Uh, and then uh, next next one, Z H I A N is Zhan rather than z, you know Zion or something like that. If you haven't had uh, that kind of instruction, it's very hard to um, stay together. So uh, I, you know I don't know that we have a great deal of time to uh, go into detail with this, but these are things that we can put on our list of um, stuff to study uh, together when we have time. Right? If you're at the monastery, then that's all you do is that sort of stuff. So that's ideal. But we can't all spend a lot of time in monasteries. So then we just have to take it where we can get it. Yes? Can I, um, uh, one thing I meant just to um, yes. losing time with it was in the Daihishin. Did I actually, um, sorry, David noticed this. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yes, Yuki Yuki. Yeah, right. Yeah, that is funny. You know, I uh, as far as I can remember, it's always been that way. That it's always written Yuki Yuki. It was actually Yuki Yuki. There are a few um, uh, exceptional um, uh, ways that certain syllables are handled in Sino-Japanese chanting, and that's one of them. Yes, I see. Uh, this one has a pencil line. So, yeah, that's that's appropriate. Yuki, yuki. It's not yuki, yuki. Yuki, yuki is something to eat, I think. But um, yeah, uh, and and there are also a few other uh, uh, conventions in the. Um, uh, see, we don't chant the Japanese uh, sandokai, do we? No, I don't think so. There, there, there are just a few. Um, um, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of an example where the syllable TSU, if it's repeated, actually gets shortened, and that's never written, it's just people know that. So there are a few of those rules, but not so many. Uh, so uh, most of the uh, particulars of how, how these, this chanting practice is done can be learned fairly fairly soon. 
And um, well, maybe we'll be able to do more of that at some point. Me yes. Exactly. Oh, yes. Could we please agree on one? Yes. Uh, I'm trying to remember to say neither on this side of the pond. Um, uh, and then uh, this chap, uh, David Hay, who uh, is from around here, um, uh, when he was at Tassajara and I was Tonto, I would always hear him going neither, neither, and everybody else is going neither. And he, he uh, you know, so he's representing Great Britain uh, still to this day. So I'm trying to remember to say neither. Well, I don't know. A lot of you guys say it. You say neither? <laughs> Do you say neither or neither? No, oh, I say neither. You say neither. How about that? Oh. Oh, I was listening to you guys, so I'm saying neither. Well, well uh, do you want to vote? Do you want to vote? Which do you prefer, neither or neither? Neither. You vote for neither. Okay. Um, uh, neither. Do, do, <laughs> do we want to settle on one or just? Yes. Right. Is it all right to to have all variants? Well, it's um, um, it goes a little bit against the grain of. Uh, of subsuming everyone's individual preferences into the the sangha body, so um, it's you know it does sound a bit odd if some people are saying neither and some are saying neither, but we can live with it. I think the reason it was it, it was neither. Uh, probably yes, e i in 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 Germanic tongues is is i right. So um, anyway, I'm happy with. Either, <laughs> so, uh, or, or we we could uh, say we could have neither one day and neither the next. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Okay. Oh yes. All right. Oh okay. Yeah. So uh, I well, maybe for the next couple of days we could say neither. Can we can we live with that? Neither. And the women ancestors tomorrow. And the women ancestors tomorrow. Yes. Whatever you eventually. But we only come together, what, twice a year? Right, precisely, yeah. Yes, yes. And that imperfection is held within harmony, so it's not a problem. Okay, well, my knee is killing me, so maybe we could stop now. May our intention equally extend to every being and place. With the true merit of Buddha's way, beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Actually, if we're all going to...